This is the Leapcast, where we talk about how today's current events impact your real life. If you are tired of politics or you are just exhausted from the spin, this show is for you. My name is Andrew Lieb, and every week I host a talk radio show breaking down the news from an independent point of view. We discuss real estate, business, and your health. Hear from the experts and learn the truth on the Leapcast. Personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Lieb. Lauren, Lauren Lieb, did yes. you hear what this Cantor Fitzgerald executive and his wife did? <laughs> I did. You did? So this this guy, if you don't know Cantor Fitzgerald, it's money. Like my mother is still disappointed in me for not applying to work at Cantor Fitzgerald every time I see, like these people are the best, the best, the best in finance out there. Like I know there's a lot of different companies out there, but um, so anyway, my point being that I've never met someone who works at Cantor Fitzgerald who's struggling financially. Oh no. So this Cantor Fitzgerald executive and his wife are, had rented a house in the Hamptons. They, they rented this house in the Hamptons like lots of fancy people do. And it's Cantor's ultra-wealthy chief administration officer. And they paid $10,000 a month for the past two years to rent the $5 million watermill house. So watermill, if you don't know, is one of the most expensive addresses in the United States. In the Hamptons, the two most expensive, generally, it changes year over year, are Sagaponics, usually number one, and Watermills, usually number two. But sometimes Bridge jumps in there or something like that, but Watermill is not cheap property. And $10,000 a month, like... I thought that was low. Well... For considering Watermill. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's low considering watermill. <laughs> like we have clients that are paying $100,000 a month, and there's places that rent for... A million dollars, two million dollars. Like it's like, so anyway, they rent this place, and I brought in my friend Leslie Mendoza from our law firm. She does a lot of the landlord tenant practice because I just thought she would love to hear that they're refusing to leave, Les, and they will not leave. And there's a lawsuit apparently going on. And as we all know, that you read, you read that there's eviction moratoriums where you can't do evictions, and the federal one, when does the federal one end? Is What is that, June 30th? I believe so. Yeah, but there's a New York State moratorium. Can you tell me about that quickly? So the New York State moratorium applies if a tenant files a hardship declaration, and that stays the eviction up to August 31st, 2021. So just so I'm crystal clear, yes, you're saying it goes to August 31st, better yet, September 1st, because the moratorium is the 31st. Yeah. But it doesn't apply for a Cantor Fitzgerald person because they're not going to have a hardship. Yes. <laughs> what is their hardship? It's arguable. I mean, once they file it, it's up to the landlord to rebut that that hardship declaration. You've actually dealt with some of these cases with the hardship stuff. And we've seen, just interestingly enough, there's supposed to be a hearing on the hardship, right? Yes. The landlord the petitioner, the landlord, would have to request it with the court, but you getting the date before August 31st is another story. Did you hear that, Listen, Lauren? Um, just so we're clear. And this is what clients don't understand. We have a client that asked us to file for a, um, 
you actually told me about this, Lauren. Um, we have a client that asked us to file for an exemption so they can have something done fast with a court. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? They said, hey, um, I have a pending real estate sale, and they were trying to get an estate through. And they said, can I file this fast, this thing, so I can get an exemption to go fast? And I said, you actually need the judge to read your application to go fast. And the only thing we're waiting on is for the judge to read the other application. <laughs> so it's going to be a nullity. It's no point. So Leslie's point, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Leslie, and this is what our clients don't seem to understand and what a lot of people out there don't get, is yes, you can file an eviction proceeding, correct? Correct. Yes, the tenant can then say, I have a hardship, and they put in a hardship declaration, which, by the way, the landlord had to give them a form when they filed the petition, correct? Correct. And then the court will say, hey, we're going to give you this date after September 1st, and except if the landlord requests a hearing to see if they really have a hardship, Correct? Correct. But then they have to have the hearing, which, by the way, is impossible to happen in the next two months anyway. So all these court cases are getting pushed out anyway. And then I also wonder, I also wonder, when they don't file the hardship, when's the newest dates you're getting right now? Like on petitions when there is no hardship. We're talking four or five months from now, right, for court? Yeah, it depends which district you're in, but some districts... The next date we got was December. Let me explain what you're saying, Lauren, because you're making a face yeah, to me. Yeah, just so, to follow. So in Suffolk County, Nassau County has districts too. Suffolk, in New York City, they have the landlord-tenant part. It's just its own courts. In Nassau County, they have district in Hempstead. But anyway, cities can have their own courts, like Long Beach City has its own court. But in Suffolk County, the western towns have what's called districts, which may or may not be in the same town. The eastern towns, you know how there's eastern towns and western towns? The eastern towns are the Hamptons and the North Fork. The eastern towns have town court. So, for example, East Hampton has a town court. And in Southampton's town court, which happens to be in Hampton Bays, which confuses everyone, there's all these courts. And what Leslie's saying is it de- when she says it depends on which district you're in, she's not going to quote you because Leslie is very careful to say it's going to be five months. Her point is that each district, one district's three months, one district's five months, one district's four months. But the point is that they all have a stack of evictions. I don't know if you saw, 8 million people they're projecting right now, 8 million people they're projecting right now, 8 million people they're projecting right now to get foreclosed on or evicted after these moratoriums are over. So this is just another example that you need to save your pennies right now because once that happens, you are going to want to invest. That's what I've been saying the whole time, and everyone thinks we're wrong, but you'll see when uh, there's 8 million evictions and foreclosures, there's going to be opportunities to buy. It's just math. So anyway, let's go back. In 2019, there was a law called the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act. I got the right year? Yes, 2019. 2019. And in that law, they amended the general obligations law. You don't need to know what that is. So what happens is there's a grand statute that the Congress passes, the Senate, the Assembly of New York State, this massive law. I think it was like 74 pages, single-spaced. And in it, it has lots of different laws that it changes. And one of the little laws it changed was the general obligations law with respect to deposits or advances of rent. And that law said, hey, you can't take more than one month for a deposit or advance. Am I, am I right so far? Correct. And so that shocked the Hamptons market. 
And it just goes to the Cantor thing. I just want to point it out. And what happened was historically in the Hamptons, you would say, hey, rich person, you want to rent $10,000 a month? Give us all the money in advance and give us a security deposit or don't take our keys. That's how it used to all go. But this new law said, hey, the most you can get is one month. And yes, it's true. Some places are taking a month for security and a month for rent. But I would tell you that's a poor interpretation of the law. And I'd also tell you that there's a provision of the law that says if you willfully, meaning you're trying to violate the law, you could be subject to a penalty of two times the amount you took. So it's a big gamble to say, hey, I can take not just one month, but two months and just call them different categories because you could be liable for two months from taking two months because you take one month too much and then the penalty. doesn't matter. So let's back up again. Historically, Lauren, if you were a Hamptons, a North Fork landlord, a Hamptons, a North Fork broker, a Hamptons, a North Fork attorney, you would say, I want all the money and then some for the whole season. And then you'd have another provision in it that said, if you stay longer, your rent goes from $10,000 a month to $30,000 a month. That's called a holdover provision. Lots of landlords always say to Leslie, she does leases all the time for people. And they go, why do I need you to write a lease? I could get a form online. She goes, every time, she goes, do you have a holdover provision? Because when they don't leave, what are you planning on doing when you wait forever to get them out? Now, if someone was paying 10000 and now they're paying 30000 I would think, especially if they worked at Cantor Fitzgerald, you would say, stay as long as you like. <laughs> and then you could go get the damages. She could ask for attorney's fees too, all sorts of jazz. But anyway, this has become like a major thing, particularly in the Hamptons, less so in the North Fork, but particularly in the Hamptons. I've done trainings for brokerage companies, multiple brokerage companies on this topic because they're all concerned they're going to get sued for the two times the rent for taking too much. So why do we have Leslie here? Why are we going over this on the Liebcast? Because a current event happened that's impacting both real estate and businesses. Leslie writes this blog. I'm going to read you the title of the blog, and then I'm going to let her tell you about it. Seasonal rentals may soon collect more than one month's rent for deposit or advance. And I want to point out before she goes into it, a deposit refers to a security deposit, and an advance refers to a prepayment of rent, all by, although... It does say in the definition of security deposits that the non-payment of rent is a security deposit. So consequently, one would argue that they're one and the same thing. Does that make sense? So if the definition of security deposit has four different things that can be deducted from it, that's what it says in the law, one of them being the non-payment of rent. And in advance means a prepayment of rent. If you think about it, it's really saying the most you can collect is one month before someone comes in. And this has been a, a huge issue. In fact, the legislator, you'll say who did this. I think it was Steele. Steele, yes. Yeah. He said immediately, this wasn't our intent. We didn't want this to be seasonal rentals. And we always say the most well-intentioned laws have ill-conceived effects. People don't know, like you write a law and you have to change laws. It's like a, a computer program. And I've used this illustration before. When we took out Windows 95, it was amazing then, but had all sorts of problems. Imagine using Windows 95 today. Like, you need iterations. So we have this new iteration of the law that I'm going to let Leslie tell you about that 
She writes this blog on June 9th, and she says, well, she wrote it on June 11th, but it's about this law that passed the Senate and the Assembly in New York State. If you want to look it up yourself, the law is S6877, and you could just go to the blog, blog.lieb, L-I-E-B, at law, A-T-L-A-W.com. So blog.leaveatlaw.com, and you can read Leslie's blog. But I got Leslie herself, so tell me what this law is going to do, Leslie. So basically, the new law would exempt seasonal rentals from the one-month security deposit limit. So in English, if it's a seasonal rental, they can charge whatever they want on lease signing. With certain conditions. But, but if, if it is a seasonal rental, they can charge whatever they want? Yes. Is that true? What are the conditions on that? So there's three things. One is the seasonal rental has to be registered with a local or county government municipal or government Stop unit. there for one second. So if I live in Queens, well, I don't live there. I have a house in Queens that I rent out. And I don't like this stupid law of deposits in advance. I can't now put on my listing seasonal rental. The season is three years. Yes, but there's another condition. That no, but the first one, just so we're clear, is that it has to be registered as a seasonal rental. That's what I heard you say? Yes. Am I, am I hearing you right? So the landlord doesn't get to just unilaterally elect that something's a seasonal rental. That's what I'm trying you to understand. You can't make it up. Correct. And then the second thing, just so we're clear, before we go to your other two things, mm-hmm. you said there's three. We're still on the first one. The first one is, just so I'm getting it, is that it's a seasonal rental that's recognized by the local government. That's what I got? Correct. And so... Again, the broker can't call it a seasonal rental just because the landlord can't, the attorney can't. It's up to the local government. Do I got that first condition right? Perfect. Next one. The next one is the seasonal rental only can only be used as a rental for at most 120 days. Oh, <laughs> Leslie just dropped the mic. So the, the, the most it could be is 120 days. And if I'm doing my math right, Lauren, you did get a perfect score on the math SATs. Your dad was a math tutor. I think so, I got like a 780. So oh, I'm you always not, told me it was perfect. No, I think I got one one or two questions wrong. So, so we're talking about four months though, right, Leslie? Yeah, correct. All right, so the most a seasonal rental is four months as a season, which is interesting because I was under the impression that three months were a season since there's four seasons. I don't know. I, they're just redefining. Like, well, it, in the Hamptons, it's really just July Fourth through Labor Day. So, no, but here's the part I'm not understanding. Like, my son Spencer's about to go into third grade, and when they say what are the seasons to him, I think he's supposed to say that there is spring, summer, winter, and fall. Like, I think that's the four seasons. But if you do four months each, I just want to make sure I'm understanding that. And you do four times three, we're at 12 months. You're the math person, Lauren. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. This law about seasonal rentals has absolutely nothing to do with what we learned in second grade to be the seasons. I guess so. All right. Just so we're on the same page. Well, I'm thinking even like ski seasons are longer than that because a lot of ski seasons start maybe sometimes at the end of November. And then they can go until the end of April. It's interesting you point this out because we're talking about the Hamptons. But by the time this is signed and becomes applicable, it's going to be much more interesting for when we're in Tannersville, like Hunter Mountain. It's going to be much more interesting when we're in Wyndham. Forget Platico Mountain. That's the best of them all. And I I can't, I can't, I'm just getting very excited about going uh, snowboarding this year. Like, so let's. I'm not even thinking about that. We're in summer. Well, Lauren. You are only thinking that 
because you've always told me we can't get a ski house. And if I can do a seasonal rental with prepayment up to four months, the ski house becomes a very good investment. You should think about this. This is going to be an exempt thing. That's a season, as we learned. He's just trying to negotiate with me right now on the radio. Well, a I'm charitable just, issue about him wanting to get his fun toy house. And well, Leslie's my not- attorney, and she just told me that I can do a prepayment on a seasonal rental. So now, a seasonal- for our audience, it's a hard no. But I want to understand because if we rented a house, like let's say if we bought a house in Queens and we rent out that house. Leslie's telling me that I can only possibly get one month rent on signing of lease. And then I have all these dangers of this Canner Fitzgerald fella not paying and not leaving and everything else. But with a ski house, Lauren, up to four months in advance I can get. Isn't that what I'm hearing? Correct. And can well, I make a clause that says that they have to pay eight times the amount if they stay longer? No, can actually. Make it arbitra- can you make it any amount? No. no. So that that's the liquidated damages for the holdover. Mm-hmm. Liquidated damages means when a contractual provision presets damages because the parties agree that it's unable to be calculated. Anyway, there's laws. It can't be a penalty. Um, the courts have only upheld two to three times rent. That's what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. But just so we're clear, Leslie, back to that point. It doesn't have a cap on the prepayment. So even though it's only for four months, I can make my deposit 20 months if I wanted to, if it was Hunter Mountain. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Look at that. See, Lauren? Maybe we should be going up to Hunter this weekend. Uh, It's a hard no. So, Leslie, the third, the third. So the third one is the tenant must have another primary, I mean, must have a primary residence, and that should be on the lease too. Lauren, what do you think about Bel Air as a mountain? That's an under under invested area and that's a state mountain so it's even cheaper for lift passes maybe that's where we should put our house hard no i don't understand so the tenant has to have a primary residence elsewhere yes. how would the landlord know that so it has to be expressly on the lease so i guess once you start your once you start looking for tenants you have to get their ids you have to get their credit application stuff like that but it's on you to make sure that the tenant has actually has a primary residence to so come back. So I disagree with this provision, Leslie, because I'm going to tell you, I know people that are very rich in the Hamptons that have no primary residence. They go from two months in the Hamptons to two months in Aspen to two months in France. And they just jump around all – jump around, get up, get up to get down. <laughs> and so jump, that – jump, jump. <laughs> I think that's a different song. Oh. <laughs> I got excited. <laughs> it was pretty good. So I just want to rewind and make sure I understand. There's a new law that hasn't been signed by the government, by the governor yet, but it's passed the Senate and the Assembly. Am I correct so far? Correct. And it's going to change the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act with respect specifically to the general obligations law, with respect specifically to deposits or advances on rentals, residential property, because it was only residential in the first place. And it's going to be an exemption for seasonal rentals. Do I got you so far? Correct. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the eviction moratoriums whatsoever. Correct. And so this law, as they're suggesting, it has three prongs to it. Prong number one is that the rental has to be recognized as a seasonal rental in the municipality which I want to go back to. Prong number two is that it's up to 120 days. That's self-explanatory, although I disagree with their definition of seasons. Maybe they should have called it four-month period rental because now my son's all confused. (laughs) So the third one is that they have to have a primary residence elsewhere, 
Again, I disagree with the word primary. They should have to have residences elsewhere because some people don't have a primary residence, particularly Hamptonites in retirement. Yeah, have a point. Yeah. And maybe they can modify that next time around. But let's go back to the first prong because a lot of morons are listening to our show. It's not very nice of you to say. Well, here's what they're doing, Lauren. I'm going to tell you. Everybody that listens are the smartest people ever. No, because I would be one of the morons. Here's what I would have heard. Leslie said that I can go get prepaid rent as long as I have these three categories. It's a seasonal rental. It's up to 120 days, and they have a primary residence, and it has to be recognized in the lease. And I would have turned off the radio at that point. And because I get a little excited, like sometimes I'm a little, I jump the gun, like buying a ski house because I saw this thing. I've already been looking during the show on Zillow. Don't worry. We have some things to talk about as soon as we get off there. Incorrect. No, I've been looking. I have it right here. See on my cell phone. So the part that anyone who jumped the gun about needs to understand is this law, even if it's signed by the government, is 100% ineffective until their local town, village, or city enacts a law that allows registration of seasonal rentals. Is that really what I want to get across? That's 100% correct. So basically, the governor signs this, and there is no law that exempts seasonal rentals until your town or village does something about it. So if you live in West Hampton Beach, you better be in Village Hall right now suggesting that they enact a law to recognize seasonal rentals. If you are right now in Greenport, bump down to that Village Hall. Now, particularly my friends up in Hunter, my friends in Wyndham, if you want Lieb to broadcast live from Mountainside, once we convince Lauren that this is the best investment opportunity of your lifetime, we need you up there. Bel Air, my friends, my friends at Platykill, I need the powder. Pow, pow, pow. This is the Liebcast. Happy Father's Day. Find us on social media at Listen to Leap or visit listentolieb.com.